0: Hey, everybody, this is Alex, and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, thanks for everybody who's been listening to the podcast lately. I always really enjoy seeing that people actually listen to what I have to say because I'm always continuously stunned that, you know, I have anything valuable to anybody to say about anything, much less anime, although I guess I shouldn't be surprised because, you know, I've been watching this stuff for a while. But on that note, I want to talk about a little show from 2019 called
1: "O oh Maidens in Your Savage Season. あれにどんな魅力があるっていうの？もしかして君もあれを知りたかったり、あれを知らなきゃ君を知れなかったり、そんなのって。
0: Now, for those of you who don't... <laughs> for those of you who subscribe to maybe only one streaming service, who have somehow escaped the curse that us people who talk about anime on the internet have taken upon ourselves, Amazing the New Savage Season was licensed by Sentai Filmworks. I'm actually going to do a little bit more of a technical breakdown than I usually do, because I think that this particular show deserves it because of its voice and its unique it's its unique its unique voice and the unique subject matter and the way it chooses to approach that subject matter and i'll get to that in a second but this was licensed by sentai filmworks and it's still streaming and it's actually streaming dubbed on high dive and if you haven't checked out high dive um you definitely should it's a little, bit, it's I think it's like five bucks a month. I signed up for it when it was like in its very infancy, because it was three bucks a, when it was three bucks a month, and I got grandfathered in for a while. But I think even now I pay like five bucks a month or something. It's like one in a long list of just stuff I pay for to watch anime. I mean, I pay for most. If you can think of a major streaming service, there's a fair chance I pay for it. So I can watch the anime on that service. Um but that said, there was one little technical snafu and you might find this too if you're um using high dive and you use the dub the dub setting, which is really nice because instead of like asking you or making you change it every time, like say, I don't know, um every other app, once you say, Hey, I want dubs Anytime you're watching something with a dub, it will straight up just put that, remember that, and it will play the dub. It takes a little bit longer for the changeover because it's checking a database somewhere, but that's a really nice touch, just as a, like, from a user perspective. But the thing's not a nice touch is if dub setting turns off all subtitles everywhere. So what I would recommend doing is what you have to do if you want the subtitled text in um, the AVA, in the version of AVA they have in um, on uh, what's it called? Um, Netflix is to go in to like, I have an Apple TV and click auto and auto should catch when there's on screen text that should need to be um, translated. But in this, in the case of old maidens, it's not really a concern it's just like like you, you'll get you'll get what's happening without being able to read everything and oftentimes the characters are reading it out loud to themselves anyway but still it's 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 worthwhile <laughs> to maybe do that when you start this show because you're like oh wait i can't read any of this this sucks um but the reason I want to talk about the show and the reason why I want to do a bit of a more tactical breakdown is, like I said, it has a really unique voice and it covers a really unique thing from a perspective you wouldn't expect. And not just for, you know, girls and teen girls, but really anybody under the age of 18 is really, this is a really a true statement of. Um, so, there was a big controversy about the show, about the m- film Cuties on Netflix. And the big controversy was they actually got under underage child actors to, like, do the twerking and the thrusting and the hip grinding and all that other nonsense for this movie. And I had a whole conversation with um, Larry my friend me and Lauren's friend Larry not the Twitter bird but me and Lauren's friend Larry and Lauren over on and I think I just recently released it on our um Uncanny Curves podcast as a clapcast but um which is the stuff we talk to each other about before we like do the clap and get into the podcast but the The reason why everybody got ultimately uncomfortable with the, like, cuties movie is because it was about, you know, preteen girls. It was about girls who were not of age. It was about, like, girls who are not... Who are not 18, for lack of a better reason. For, For lack of a better, like, framing device. And... Oftentimes, people don't like to think of, you know, anybody under the age of consent, whatever that age is, and wherever you're growing up, that makes that the normal number of, like, oh, they're allowed to be sexual and have sexual thoughts out loud. People just don't like to, to like, think like that. And also, thinking like that is oftentimes, like... Uh, can be a path to illegality and is and the act of seeing someone who is underage in those scenarios is illegal for good reason. You know, we have child obscenity laws for an actual reason. There's a lot of advantage that can be taken of in that scenario, and actually, there's a character that the character that has a conversation with the audience about that in in Savage Season, and we'll get to him, absolutely. But what that kind of, like, controversy also revealed is it's difficult if you're, like, 15, 16, 17, and you don't have, and I've talked about this before, I think, either on that, um, in that cutie conversation or on, I've talked about this a bunch of times is my point, but it's difficult to find a way through the minefield of puberty and through the minefield of your hormones waking up for the first time as a young person because there's no resource for you because the resource for you would be basically illegal, <laughs> not basically illegal, actually illegal. Like if there was, like, okay, kids, this is what it looks. This is what sex looks like. I, that ends up being a problem. A big problem a child obscenity laws and child pornography problem. But the long and short of it is, it's like, you're left to find those answers out through a combination of, like, asking your parents, smacking into each other in the fucking dark of night of the time period that you're in. And it's one of the things that makes high school really difficult. It's one of the things that makes... Your teenage years, violently impossible. It's one of the things that makes the age 19, like, just... That's an insufferable fucking age to be for anybody. Because you're technically of age. Like, you can do the deed, but you've been so for, like, a year. And you still no better off than you were, usually. And it just kind of sucks because you're, like, on the verge of a whole new universe or so you're told. And you're just sitting there for 365 fucking days. And one of the few places that has been, like, a place for... It's, and I want to stress this, that um, oftentimes the LGBTQ, the LGBTQ... I plus community have looked to porn as like a way to explore their sexuality before or during coming out or however that process works for them. And that's become fairly accepted. Like lots of LGBTQI plus youth do watch queer porn and do find some degree of normalcy in it because it feels right to them and we'll get we'll get to a character who's very clearly like th- had just leaped off that cliff of finding it in herself for that kind of thing and it's but it's hard for everybody and there's not a whole lot to look to for advice in a way, the A does not judge you. B captures the reality and the height, as well as the heightened reality of what it is to go through that, and it's really difficult to find that stuff. And one of the only places where the sexuality of people under of underage people has kind of been on display in any way because they just don't... They're insane and the fandom is insane and they're catering all kinds of weird niches and fetishes and all this other stuff that is uniquely Japanese is anime. But even they don't have that conversation outright, even in the creepiest of adult hentai stuff. They just don't have that conversation because nobody really wants to think about that stuff because, it, A, we all went through it. We're all adults. And if you're listening to this and you are in it and you're going through it, trust me, look at an adult and they had some variant of hormones are here now and my life is just fucked. And recently there was one show that really kind of did its best to like metaphorically and physically grab that concept by the balls and just swing it like a nunchuck. And that show was, um I think it was called, um the, it had the Hormone Monster in it. I forget what it was called, but it was a Netflix original. And it was, I, it's the only thing that I can see, that I've seen that comes close to describing the, like, you hit a certain age and, like, your perspective on the world changes. It's like a massive brain shift. And yes, you are still the same person at the end of the day, but, like, there's all the other things added to your calculations of, like, relationships between men and men, relationships between men and women, relationships between everybody. Everything means new things all of a sudden, and *Obey the Near Savage* season what it really does kind of fabulously, and it is it is about that happening to a bunch of teenage girls. But and you're left to believe to um actually five teenage girls, and you're led to believe initially that. It, it it started to happen in them and they, like, were refusing to acknowledge it because none of them had the... A, had the fuel to, like, the fuel to light the fire, so to speak. Or, and none of them had the, the reason to acknowledge it because they had no, like, target person to aim their affections at. And then... You come in at the first episode, and it it kind of like the pot boils over, so to speak. And so you follow the you follow these five girls. Uh, girl named Kazusa, um. On Onidara Onidara Kazusa, um Hongo Hitoha. Um, there's a lot of ending in H because anime and manga writing. (laughs) um, Sonozaki Rika, um, Sugawara Nina, who, who who is an interesting character for a bunch of reasons, and we'll get to her, um, and then finally, Sudo Momoko, and Sudo Momoko is another, we'll talk about all five of them, basically, and the way it starts out is they're all part of a literature club, and they are reading, like, just the filthiest porn but they're like reading it out loud in a basement club room <laughs> in a way that has earned all five of them a reputation of being like the horny on main literature clubs that nobody likes <laughs> and you find that later I'm like yeah yo nobody likes you you guys all just read horny horny book porn for hours out loud it's weird you're weird and as soon as you start hearing the di the dialogue that they're reading you realize like oh these girls are just just the show just gonna be super horny on main in a way that is incredibly honest and incredibly non-judgmental from the perspective of the camera and what i mean by that is oftentimes when shows are super horny or when it's, or when any character, much like it but especially a female character, is in any way like outwardly sexual. the camera does things to make it feel like they have an opinion on it and they are put and what that is doing, that's putting an opinion on you. If you look at this through the eyes of like the male gaze, The male gaze is the same thing. It's giving the viewer a default perspective on a character. Um, to the great video about um that movie um that uh movie uh what's it called um who's the Joker's assistant? But anyway, so um the this show notably lacks a kind of gendered gaze which helps it get around all of these moments but it also lacks this like it lacks a judgment on any of the characters and the way they feel and the way they're dealing with their feelings the way they're dealing with just like all the hormones switches turned on at once and now it's a mess and over 12 episodes what that means is is they there's enough time for them to explore things thoroughly but not enough time for them to languish in things so you get something that feels pretty fast-paced and pretty chaotic in a way that mimics the way it feels when you're like 15, 16, and all the hormones turned on, and you're like, oh, what's happening? I don't know what anything means anymore. And then you have, um, I want to talk about this for a second, because we'll, this is probably the only time I'll get to talk about them. You have this moment where you meet a character who's named, who's named, um, Jujo Sone. And Sone is is a gal character. And they always show gal characters in anime as being, like, super made up, tan. They roll their skirts. Their skirts are always shorter. They, like, either don't wear a tie or just drape the tie around their collar and, like, wear their shirt buttoned down so you can see cleavage. It's it's a type in anime. Partially because it's a type in reality. But what they kind of do with Sone, which is really unique, is they kind of portray her as an early bloomer, which everybody had has in their mind the idea of a late bloomer. A late bloomer feels like they are on a path to the thirty-year-old virgin until they really aren't, and that's kind of like if there's anybody with a role in that in a, with a role in with that role in this show. It's probably the main character, Kazuha, Kazusa, but we'll get back to her, because what they do with Sone is they have a conversation about like what people perceive as somebody who just like realized that stuff a little earlier than everybody else as and late and very late in the series. By the way, spoiler alert. For this entire thing. I'm taking no mercy. It came out. It came out. Before the bad times. You've had time to watch it. It's 12 episodes. Go watch it. But. What they ultimately do. With. Sone. Is. They reveal that. Her and her boyfriend got pregnant. Or she got pregnant. I. You. You meet her boyfriend once. As a kind of shock value joke. But also a conversation. About like. Oh. I never expected her to go out with, like, a normal, very unassuming, like, bashful, honest guy from a different high school. I was expecting, like, a biker dude, not, like, a dude who just looks like a student. <laughs> That's... And it's... It's this incredibly honest moment of of Kazusa being, like... I didn't expect him to be normal. And... Realizing that, like, oh, no, wait, I don't know why I shouldn't have... Actually, it wasn't Kazusa who um, noticed it. it, was, um, it was Rika. And Rika's like, I don't know why I should have expected it not to be normal. She seems like an okay person. And up until then, they had been, like, trying... Like, Sone had been trying to be friends with Rika because she recognized that Rika... ...was coming out of her shell and, like, people were being assholes to her. And she was like, I don't need to give this girl any guff for, like, leaving the glasses at home and wearing contacts for for a change. Or, like, letting her hair down both literally and figuratively. Like, that's a lot of judgment and nobody needs that. Especially this poor, very repressed girl. And... That brings me actually to Rika and for each, for three of the five girls, there's a like counter, there's like a counter boy and a counter boy narrative. One is a adult who, um, is the character, um, who's, who's, um, who's Professor Yamagachi um, I'm going to call him Tomoki. Tomaki. Because Tomoki is a teacher, and he's kind of opposite um, Hongo. And Hongo is a teenage fiction writer who wants to know more about, like, love and sex and relationships and all that shit because her writing ra- lacks realism because she doesn't know what she's talking about because she's fucking, 15 and why would she... <laughs> And her and her very irresponsible fucking editor are putting pressure on her for that, at least in the beginning of the episode, and at least the beginning of the show, and then it takes on a life of its own. But um then opposite um Rika is Shun, and Shun is this, just this very honest guy, a guy who probably realized That he had feelings for the opposite sex fairly early, and pretty, and just is the kind of person who is okay with being honest with himself and with the rest of the world. And he just says that he likes Rika, and Rika is this very. It's this very repressed. Very at at the beginning of the show, she's very repressed. She's very straight edge um in the same way at she kind of had the same arc as um the main character from paradise Kith. I forget her name even though it's one of my favorite shows but I forget her name she had that same almost that same arc but a little less self-serious and a little less turning into an absolute sur- supermodel bitch at one point um but then the last male character, who stands opposite both Nina, kind of, but really stands opposite Kazusa is Izumi. And Izumi is is the open this show up with a bang character, A, which we'll get to right after this. And B, he is like the one who hasn't gotten it figured out. In Shun and Tomoki you have an adult who has gone through all this already, who has experienced that like welling of, like, hormones, and he's lived with those hormones for long enough, where he knows like where to aim them and how to aim them appropriately. Whereas other character with uh, the other two male characters don't really have as hard a handle on it. Um, and then Shun, it's so honest. He's such a good boy. And, like, it just just takes every, like, roadblock that Rika puts in front of him and it would just, like, windmill kicks it down with all of his might successfully every time. That it's, it's very clear that he has decided, oh, I like this feeling, I'm going to pursue this feeling, With the person who gives me these feelings. Let's go. 150% in at all times. And then there's Tomoki. Tomoki and Kazusa have been next door neighbors for their entire lives. And they have this great moment of like Tomoki and little Tomoki and little Kazusa playing outside in like a blow up kiddie pool. And like their mom turn around. And Tomoki behind Kauza, just fuck-ass kid naked, and they're like, oh, Jesus, it's weird now. And that's just like little kid shit. It doesn't matter. they're, They're childhood friend characters, but the thing that they do that's really unique here is that they don't just say that. They really make you, the audience, feel it in a way that isn't just cursory like they're constantly over each other's houses they're constantly with each other but like in the way that brothers brothers and sisters or family members of the opposite sex are constantly with each other and that makes it odd when and that makes it odd and hard for either of them to notice when they come to the conclusion that like oh shit we have a thing for each other. We should convert this from friendship into full-blown boyfriend-girlfriend-lovers scenario. And one of the best um, things that I've ever heard about relationships, one of the best things that I've ever heard about relationships is, is like relationships, like romantic relationships are just friendship on fire. And what that means is, and what that's meant to mean to people is, is that, like, you should be friends with your significant other. You should like them. You should like them as a person. You should have fondness for them and want to spend time with them. And it should not be surprising if you, like, wake up next to your best friend every day. That's not weird. That's the way it's supposed to go. And these two, because they've been friends for so long, they don't know what, ultimately, on many levels, they don't know what to do to, like, properly switch it over. But really, there's only, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to do much. The feeling just needs to be there. And so many people think, like, oh, I would never date, I would never date him. He's my friend. Why not? It makes total goddamn sense. One of the best um shows about... One of the best shows about, like, the elasticity of romances and the way everything shakes out is actually probably, and you're gonna be like, Alex, you're insane, Gossip Girl. And the reason why I say Gossip, one of the, that's one of the best shows about that, is it really... It forces on you, like, oh these people constantly in each other's orbit and they're constantly, like, a thing. Like, they're constantly next to each other and they're constantly with each other and it's only natural that they would be attracted to each other and, like, go out and sleep with everybody in their orbit. It makes total sense. It's not rocket science. Like, you don't... You don't run into your death, your destined one, all the time on a dating app or in a bar. Sometimes, many times, the person who you could best be with has always been there, is always going to be there, because that relationship, those relationships with your friends and like the people around you, aren't built up in a way that's conditional in a way that's like oh you cheat on me we'll never speak again I one of the things that lots of people think like why you shouldn't date the person you're friends with is because you don't want to lose them and that's a constant thought that everybody has at some point like what if what if it goes bad and we never speak again if it goes bad and you never speak again you may not really be friends like if it goes bad at some point, if you're really, really good friends, if that part, if that part, that core part of like that person is always there for you, you will speak again. It will be, it will feel maybe awkward at first, but you will go back to being friends. And that's the real, honest truth about relationships. Is like real relationships, real real bonds aren't conditional we're just trained to think they are because everybody wants to feel safer from the hurt that way and that, so that's the deal with Kalisa and um, Izumi but Izumi is also linked to Nina and here's why I want to talk about Nina because Nina is Nina a bunch of fucking things Nina is first and foremost very clearly a part of like what they call a like hafu character in anime and in lots of Japanese society. She's very clearly not just Japanese. She's also some other nationality, whether it be American or some sort of European. But she's very pale. She has white blonde hair, naturally white blonde hair. And she's like slender. And, like, mysteriously attractive. But Nina is also... And this is really important. And I... I knew somebody like this. I knew somebody specifically like this. Nina has always had value placed on her because of her attractiveness. And... it, it It's hard for men to understand this but when you live your life and that's your and that's your social currency it becomes like a thing that's linked to you as a woman as a girl even and you start to identify that as your as the card you can play as the as the thing you have that is of value is your beauty is your attractiveness and that is also true in the reverse when like you do not look traditionally attractive when you do not look traditionally cute it can also really fuck you up but what that tends to do for people who are that attractive is it tends to make them identify with that and oftentimes over sexualize themselves and aim themselves in a way that feels, that can feel coarse to other people, but it also walls them off from reality in a way that's protective. The great, um and it makes them feel like they have to be more mature and more, more okay with things that they're not ready to be okay with. It's why Nina is the original, like, start of, like, she's the one who says on her bucket list, like, I'd want to have sex. Um, that, unless it's really a choice of yours against it, lots of times, that just happens in the course of you living life. Like, you just bang somebody at some point. Trust me, I know. But, like, as a teenager, you don't really know that. And that seems like the most sensual, certainly attractive thing to say in that moment. So she, it seems like she says it. But also, it's a piece of honesty, the moment of honesty for her, right off the bat. And from that opening scene where they like read the porn novel out loud, and Nina's like, I, she said that she'd want to have sex. Or she said that she'd want to do it with somebody. She kind of sets off a She, like, ticks the first domino of this series. And then... Kazusa goes home. And her mom is bugging her, like, saying, Go over and give Izumi this because his parents are away for the weekend. And, like, I don't want him to starve. I love the kid. And he's, like, your little brother. Bring him this. And in a moment... That took, and I cannot stress this enough, if you have only started watching anime seriously recently, or do do not remember this, or were not aware of this discourse. This scene took the anime fandom by storm. Like, everybody was like, yo, you seen this shit? This shit is wild. This show is automatic. We are watching all of this show. I don't care how bad it might get. This show has some, has some brass cojones. Let's go. Kawasa walks in on Izumi. Just cranking it. Just full on like in a desk chair. <laughs> the thing I found hilarious is he like draped a cloth over his shame because that feels like, a, like I just learned about this and I do want to look at it because it makes me feel weird. And he just He's just going to town, choking the chicken. It's, it's amazing. And he... he she, she walks in the entire house of dark. Because as, a, as an adult man, when you first discover this process of doing that thing, It feels like no one needs to know. It feels like you need guaranteed the entire domicile to yourself for an extended period of time before you can, like, really get into it and really, like, just be honest with yourself. Just be a dirty little weird gremlin. And that's the vibe. They nailed that vibe absolutely perfectly like she walks into the house and you as a man are like listen you need to go straight to the kitchen you need to put that in the fridge put a note on it leave and just this is a no-go though like you do not go investigate the music you just leave and Kaza does not do that she goes straight up she goes up the stairs very confused sees his door, like, open a jaw, which first moves, buddy, close the door, close the door, all the way, and opens the door, and there is Izumi, just straight up, hand-on, hand-on equipment, just full-on staring at a childhood friend, and he's like, like, it. His brain is coming back down from the high and he's like putting it together slowly. And she just freaks out and runs as fast as she freaking can out of that whole scenario. And now the world is all only sex and they have a great innuendo shot of a train going through her legs and into a tunnel. And she just loses her mind. And it all feels so new and so un... Un... un Unnormal. Not... It all feels so new and strange to her that she doesn't know what to do with it. Like, none of them know what to do with it. They don't know what... They don't... None of these characters know what they want. None of these characters know... What they need out of any relationship they're pursuing, maybe ultimately, with the exception of Rika, who I'll get to in a second, um, but she like causes just like oh 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 fuck, and then like ultimately at the by the end of the show she is like jabbing her. At that point, at the end, of, by the end of the show, her boyfriend eases me like, "Hey, you looking for your weird train porn? We're gonna, i find it again." <laughs> I did that too, and she's like, very honest about it, and he's like, it gives him pause like, "Oh, we're well at this point already, cool." <laughs> and here's why I want to talk about Rika because Rika is. As, but in the beginning of the show, she's very buttoned up. She's very prim and proper. She's pretend, She's like pretending that they're not reading hardcore porno scenes out loud in a room, <laughs> but that's what they're doing. And she doesn't. She thinks that it's filthy. She thinks that being honest about your desires and engaging in those desires is like a gross dirty awful thing and they and we have a example of that in this show in the character of um Hisashi who is a pedophile who built up rules around himself so he will not be a full on pedophile ever um, which is gross and bad and like this show makes him creepy as shit and like makes all the interactions with him creepy as shit, but also shines a light on him in the opening and ending of the show and, like, once you realize what that character is, you're like, oh, gross. He's bad. But also, his character also feels like, oh, he's probably gross and bad. I don't like him. He seems pale in a way that's sickly and fucked up. But Rika, Rika's journey which her boyfriend eventually Shun pushed her in the most mature place about relationships and about what she wants out of her relationship with Shun and like she had the place where she could aim her affection and they have a really great scene in the last episode of the show where she it's like you've kissed other girls oh fuck we haven't kissed, and he kisses her on the forehead. And his reasoning is, I've kissed other girls on the lips. I've never kissed other girls on the forehead. That's a first for me. You got my first to Thompson. I'm trying to be sweet and and commit and commit and like compromise here. Meet me halfway, and she's like, okay. And then they almost kiss for real, and they're interrupted. But the. The show really shows Rika waking up to, oh, this is fine. Like it's okay to want these things out of a relation, out of a relationship, to want to be with someone, to want to not, to have that desire to know someone, to be close to someone like that. And what what the show really settles on without saying, which is really important, is that, like, sex isn't a bad thing and sex isn't, like, this big scary monster or at least it doesn't need to be. Everybody treats it like that because, who knows, societal norms and bullshit. But at the end of the day, it's the physical expression of, it's one of the physical expressions of love and of affection and of feeling, and it's a way to directly feel that love and affection in a way that is ingrained to mean something to us because of evolution, genetics, and once again, societal bullshit, and all this other stuff. And there, the last character I want to really... Actually, before I get to Momoko, I want to talk about um, Hongo. Hongo is like the beeline character, the character who is determined... Right up until the moment when she realizes she fucked up. To, like, be the one who fucks. Hango is the one who wants to fuck the hardest. By the end of the show. Only the object of her affection ends up being Tomoki. And I forget the character name in Karate Sakura. But there's a character in Karate Captain Sakura who is, like... Part of what they call in the Clamp of Birch, a soul pair, which is like a like n- not only the romantic pair but a pair of people, a pair of a relationship that is like together across universes. But in her original universe, that character is the character who she's attracted to is just the teacher, and the teacher is like straight up like, Okay, then I'll wait for you. I know you're in elementary school, but I'll wait for you to be of age and then we'll get married. And that makes it a creepy thing. What makes the relationship between Hango and Tomoki feel real and feel honest and feel like, like not creepy in the way that, that, that Hisashi feels... Is And it's one of the reasons why I think it's important that they have both Tomoki and Hisashi in this show. Is Tomoki at all points is like, no, you're a child. You like like me because of your perception of me as, like, an adult. As, like, the kind of person you would like. And, yes, Tomoki takes it way too far. And gets way too fucking in over his own head like a dumbass. But the the so long short of it is, and once again spoilers and like offence warnings, I'm sure trigger warnings if like sexual acts between a minor and a adult you don't like that a trigger warning for this entire episode but this specifically. Um and also the Hisashi conversation that I'm probably gonna have after this specifically. Um Tomoki in, in an attempt to like Get hung, get Hongo off this like path that she's on, and it ultimately kind, of, it ultimately worked pretty much. It's like okay, fine, you really want to do it, do it. Meet me at this bus stop. She waits at the bus stop. He picks her up in his, he picks her up in his car, and he does like the thing that, and I understand this. This is the like sex version of bring your kid to a jail cell when they did something first time they do something like atrociously bad. And he brings Hongo to a love hotel, but not like a normal, not like a medium range or high end love hotel. He's not trying to make this glamorous. He's trying to prove a point. (laughs) He brings her to the cheapest, the cheapest, grossest, weirdest love hotel kind of ever like bad wallpaper sconces from the 70s the whole the whole nine yards and he but he overestimates like the determination at which Hongo feels like she has to know she has to do this she has to do this with this person this person she's attracted to and like she's accepted the fact that she's attracted to him and she goes Straight up, full sixty-nine on him. Mind you, she's not wearing underwear, and she gets to the point, and she's like, where she's like, ripped off his pants. She's like, why aren't you aroused at all? And it hits her that he wasn't kidding. He's not attracted to her. He's not. It, she's not his type. Even if she was an adult, she wouldn't be his type. And it just it hurts so much that she just breaks down crying and cries for the rest of the time and he's just like it's not this is this is why this wouldn't ever work not just because you're a child it's because you're not there yet you don't understand what it is to be an adult because you're not an adult you need more time It's fine. The world is the world. I didn't make it, but this is what it is. And, like, granted, he did not anticipate full-on, like, the equipment being out in the open at some point. But he did... He got the point across, one way or another. And from that point on, Hongo is very she still clearly has feelings for him but she understands kind of what that is and she comes away with like that moment of just like that felt that like was a thing for her it what, it felt it felt a certain kind of way for her and she had that moment for herself and like also it's, it's borderline illegal it's like not the most illegal in the show that Still go to Hisashi, fucking pervy asshole, asshole savant director jerk. Um, But Tomoki, like, does the best thing he could have in that scenario. Not the best thing he could have, let's be honest. Best thing he could have done is, like, remove himself from the scenario entirely no matter what it took. But he does... He gives her an honest experience in a way that feels like it wasn't talking down to her. It feels like it didn't... And this whole show kind of does this, and it's fabulous. And this whole show, for that reason, makes... Has the character that has the most opinion about of the characters who try and force the world on these... The, who try and force these characters who are coming of age like ultimately they do with um, Sone by the end to like fit into their narrow box of what children should be when teenagers aren't aren't full on adults but they aren't children they shouldn't be like you shouldn't treat a teenager like you treat a full-on child. A teenager is not a four- or five-year-old. A teenager is, like, someone who has started to have real thoughts and interactions and opinions with life and about life. And it often, and this is a lot of what, at least in America, we use therapy for, often children, like... a teenagers the only way they can experience that like an honest filterless conversation about lots of things is through therapy and that's because therapists are specifically trained to appropriately like take you through that stuff there's a one of the funniest stories I was in group therapy for a a while I was also in normal like one-on-one therapy for a while but I was early for my therapy session, and I walked, I, like, knocked on the door because I'm not an idiot. I know my therapist has other clients. And, like, I also knew that right before us, there was a teen girl group therapy session that happened. And after that, after, like, those girls were let out, and we were let in. We were like a mixed gender, normal, young adult, like, in our 20s therapy session. Um, but, like, she's like, yeah, it's really funny. We were talking about, like, feelings about the opposite sex and boys and, like, coitus and all this other, like, slightly erotic shit. And then Alex just shows up and he's like, hey, guys. You done yet? Like, I had to spend a couple minutes I wasn't planning on, like, just bringing them down from, and then there's a dude here, to which I apologize to her for. She's like, it's fine. It was bound to happen. It was funny that it happened exactly then. And the only adults that they chide or they have a a definite, like, these people are bad opinion on her. Of the adults who are like no you're a kid you, you why do you have these feelings why are you experimenting with this at all would you rather them do it when it was when they were 50 and they still don't know what they're doing and they're fucked up no that's worse you're supposed to like be the, they, they have the phrase young dumb and full of cum for a reason like that's common because that's the way it is And the longer you put that off, the longer that people aren't asking questions about that stuff, the less accessible it becomes and the harder it becomes. Because you don't, if you don't, if if you say don't have any sauce about sex until you're 50 years old, it's not any easier. It's harder, in fact, because everybody else knows the rules, and you don't. And so much of what the, like, mindset that was the approach to cuties was, and granted, the problem with cuties was, like, the sexuality was full-blown and out there in a way that it was not, that it's not in something like, um, what's it called? In, In, that's not in Savage Season, certainly. But it is in um, the Hormone Monster show from Netflix. Like, it's all the way the fuck out there in that show. <laughs> Which is great. If you're looking If you're looking for that or you, like, have a kid who, like, might need that, look that show up. It's worth it. Um, but the, the show really makes those characters those characters, the bad guys, ultimately. And then it kind of brings everything to a head and it makes it so like, okay, you have these feelings, we have these feelings for each other in all kinds of different directions. And we have to live with that. We have to, but we also have to live with like, we've, in Tomiki and... Kazus' case, they live with the fact that they like each other, but they also like their relationship. But they want, the thing they want out of a romantic relationship is more time with each other. Is to, like, let those feelings grow, and that's what they ultimately decide on. The thing that, you know, Rika and Shun have with each other is new and they're exploring it, and they're, like, very. both of them are finally in a place by the end of the show, we are very willing to explore it. Hongo has realized that, like, that relationship will come for her. It's like a feeling of mutual love will exist for her. And she has had an experience of a lifetime already that will be enough for her until she gets to that point. Uh, and then we come to Nina and Momoka. And Nina, like I said at the beginning of this, has lived a life that has stressed to her, you are beautiful, you are attractive, you are valuable because you are attractive. And when she develops feelings for for Izumi, they're honest. It's like she's finally, when she's finally honest, she's like, I'm okay. I'm like, actually have a crush on Izumi. And I'm admitting it to the world for once instead of just letting it pass me by because I don't have enough self-value to act on it. For once, she does. But then what she says is, she says, I'm okay with Izumi only wanting my body. And that's the thing that tells you that Nina has some stuff she needs to work out. And Izumi later says, like, hey, I need to go apologize to Nina. Nina because she's probably pretty raw right now in a way that she can't hide. And it's important that you apologize to people when you hurt them, even if it was unavoidable. And she's still basically, she's still a good person. She's not a bad person. But if she sits with this for long enough, that might make her a bad person. (laughs) That makes any sense. And then there is... Hisashi, the last character that I kind of want... Actually, the last character I want to talk about is Momoko. So we'll save Momoko for last. But Hisashi is... He is the root of Nina's, like... Hot girl summer-itis, so to speak. He is the root of her being, like, aloof and unapproachable. And even she says, like, he valued me because I was a child. And because... Ch- children are pure and gorgeous and this guy's a creep fucking creeper and when the show reveals him to be a creeper nina realizes this, this guy basically groomed her for years and she immediately immediately punches him in the face as hard as possible and like If there's one criticism of this show that I really have, uh, it's because... The, the And the will they won't they of this show is, is is honestly earned and honestly demonstrated is like, listen, these are a bunch of teenage idiots. They don't know what they're doing yet. Like, it, it's a will they won't they think because the, they don't fucking know either. <laughs> not the show knows. Not Not the show knows, but they're not letting you have it. The... Big the big faults I have with this show are they start to get into same sex relationships and just kind of don't have the they don't really have the space to tackle it, if that makes any sense. And they start to get into the kinds of like this person is this person is deranged and their sexuality comes from some sort of very damaged very fucked up should not be allowed place like hisashi as kind of like just he exists and he can be a joke character when we need him to be a joke character but like he exists and that's fine and it it's not it's not cool it's like the the inclusion of hisashi should have been like this is the character who is a demon and they so almost get there and they just they don't stick the landing on it. Because as soon as she full on cold cocks him in the face when he's like literally licking up the front of her body and she's like, nope, don't like this. Fucking punches him off her. They like have a frame of it like it's a comedy thing. And it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't read right. But that's only a short, short, short piece of this. Where they kind of stumble is with Momoka. And Momoka, you're given all the cues to think like, oh, this, this girl isn't into guys. This girl, this girl isn't into guys at all. And there's a character who she ultimately needs to... Like, they play off as, like, an okay dude for, like, the first five seconds. And then he's just the biggest douche. And then, once you add up all the pieces, you're not sure that he's the biggest douche. You The, thing, the only thing you're sure of is he has about as much experience and understanding of how to do this as any other teenage guy, which is none. And he... You start to realize that the problem isn't necessarily with him, although the problem, to be clear, is with him. He is like the situation from fucking Jersey Shore level—the douchebag. He calls his he calls his friends his bros, and it makes me want to kick him in the head. But the focus they keep coming back to is Rika didn't like the experience of like putting of like aiming her attraction at him and that's the way I would put it with all these characters they all aim their attraction at another character and she doesn't know at first she doesn't know why she isn't attracted to guys and then she has a moment where she just, like, breaks down, lets go, and confesses her feelings for Nina. And Nina is like, I don't know what to do with this. This is my friend. I I can't... I don't know what to do with this. And she has a... Um, and Nina at some point says, like, if you had to have sex with, like, this person or the world would end, which would you... What would you do? And to cop to cop to both Kaza and to Momoko. And Momoko rephrases it to Kaza since they're like the best the best friends. And she goes, If you had to have sex with Mr. Tomoki um or you had to have sex with or you had to have sex with me, what which would you do? Or or the world would end. What would you choose? And Kazusa says a thing that feels log- like a place of logic, but any any adult would realize, like, oh, you're trying to make it okay that, like, girls have sex with other girls. We, okay, M- my job here is to answer you. But what Kazusa says is, like, listen, Olga, I love your pieces, but I'm into dudes, and... Tomoki, and and the teacher is a dude, so I'm going to have to pick him. And it just, like, breaks Momoko's heart. And Momoko, like, needs to, needs to... Needs to come, like, it's clear that Momoko needs to come to a place that she's okay with her own feelings about her own attraction to women that, and that she's just not attracted to men. And that's, I talk about societal bullshit when I talk about like the framing of sex as being this like off limits, gross nightmare thing, but that's even worse, especially in Japan, when it comes to queer relationships, queer relationships are, Fetishized, and they're fetishized heavily in anime. Um, especially queer male relationships are fetishized as, like, fodder for women. But they're really demonized in Japan. They Like, queer people in Japan do not have a whole lot of rights, in a way. Or respect shown to them in a way that is not true in America at all. <laughs> like, um, I was, I watched a, uh, a video from abroad in Japan, which if you don't follow him on YouTube, you should. He's great. And him and Chris, and Chris from, um, Dog VA, which is less of an essential follow on YouTube, but still really amusing. Went to all these love hotels. Just, like, check out love hotels and check out weird-ass love hotels because they wanted to see inside them and they like went to a nautically themed one that had a glass case with an $8,000 Donald Duck figure in it a Donald Duck statue in it and it was very weird and very funny but they also showed these love hotels that straight up kicked them out not because they were carrying a camera or not because they were like didn't make a reservation but because it was two guys want into a love hotel and love hotels are about banging. And they were anti-gay. And there are laws that are supposed to prevent that. But not everybody follows them. Because people are assholes. And the... Big... the So that's the kind of societal pressure of you have to be straight that Momoka is probably dealing with. Like, she's dealing with the fact that, like, she probably doesn't know any gay people. Or if she does, she probably didn't recognize it in herself, certainly. Although, seriously, if you're paying attention, you recognize that in Momoka. Really, 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 or like, beginning of the show. You're like, oh, this one likes girls. That's fine. Cool. She's about to figure that out real quick. And painfully. And probably fuck up a couple times. Um, And her relationship with Nina is kind of protracted a whole lot by the end of the show. Like, by the end of the show, you get, like, all these fun little vignettes of, like, you know, re- of, like, Hongo self-actualizing. Rika and Shun doing their thing. Kalisa and Izumi... And- and Izumi doing doing their thing and being like an adorable couple who just like holds hands all the time. <laughs> um, and then you see a moment where Nina and Momoko are together and they're doing stuff and they're having a good time. And you wonder if, but you're left to wonder in a much more open way, is that of concrete relationship? Is that, a romantic thing, or is that a friend thing, or is that somewhere in between? Because you're left to understand that Nina clearly, by the time the like crescendo of the show was happening, not necessarily have a healthy like concept of her own romantic viability. And the only way she had to go was that of Momoka, who wanted her for, wanted Nina for Nina as a whole, not just as a body. And maybe that was Nina's realization to like, maybe I love everybody. (laughs) Maybe I'm pansexual. Maybe I'm, you know, bisexual. Who knows? But she. Maybe I'm in love with people who love me, who knows? But that's really the only relationship that's really the only character who they don't once once they make the big reveal of this girl loves girls, they don't know what to do with it. Almost. They don't they don't know and granted the thing I will say is that they don't know what to they Don't know what to do with it, but the things they do do with it, feel very honest, feel very aware of, like, listen, this girl's got a whole other layer of shit she's about to have to deal with. Because the first thing was, oh, sex is a thing that we're thinking about all the time now. But the second thing is, for Momoko, like, how do two girls even have sex? How do two girls even date? How does that work? What happens in the world? Like, what happens? And they feel like they know they're unequipped, so they want to wrap it up in a way that, like, they get to that and they're like, hey, this is a thing for this girl. We're not prepared to deal with this. We can't. We have no time. And at least I can show respect for that of, like, they want to put that into the world and they want to put that out as a possibility and make her a queer character, but they don't want to step in it real hard. Which shows this show from beginning to end has a like a thoughtfulness about the material, about the raw material it's playing with, and how that could hurt people. Because oftentimes, shows like this oftentimes things like this want to make have good intentions maybe but they also have the effect of being like no like a good relationship looks like this a healthy relationship looks like this you know love looks like this responsible love making looks like this or they go the other direction it's all spectacle like um like that's Stepsister girlfriend thing from um couple of se- from a couple of years ago that was like, I I I read that on a vac I read the manga for that on vacation, um, and I was like, and when I heard the anime was announced, I was like, oh, oh no. And on that note, um, I went. Fairly long this time. I hope you guys don't mind. I have a lot to say about this show because I found it really kind of fascinating because of the A, the subject matter, and B, the kind of wide exploration of the subject matter from like all the way from like childhood friends, what it would actually be like for childhood friends to actually convert into a relationship. Probably happens way more than you would ever fucking imagine. Um, to like what happens to a child who is clearly, and I can't stress this enough. Hisashi abused the shit out of Nina. <laughs> it's just true. I also Nina like is a like a rare thing in Japanese society depicted as beautiful and foreign in the way that America oftentimes treats East Asian people. Um, which is disgusting in both directions, guys. But, like, she was clearly psychologically abused at the very least. Maybe physically abused. Um, but definitely psychologically abused. And it, it, like what happens to a person after that when they get out of that situation and they're in a normal scenario and they hit a they hit a point in life where everyone zigs and they slightly zag because they they were dragged into that they were dragged into far more than that than they were prepared for way too early and on that note um I've been Alex this has been lunchbox radio and if you like this episode, new episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday except for last Sunday. I just didn't have anything in the tank. sorry guys but um Sunday episodes are more like based on fandom, like industry stuff more metatextual Thursday shows like this are more about a specific show or a specific um, film or anything like that. So on that note, I will talk to you on Sunday.